0: Let's get into the text. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now, certainly Moses is talking about the eternal nature of God, right? Everlasting to everlasting. But he also talks about man's place in the world. And what part of creation is he especially focusing on in... uh, I guess verse 2. In the first two lines of verse 2. When were the mountains born and, the, the, and, you know, and things like that? When did that happen? Day 3. Day 3. Day 1 is the gigantic raindrop in the sky just a blob of water with the Holy Spirit hovering over the surface of the deep. Day two, God pulls a great deal of the water up out of the blob and creates the clouds, the sky, and puts in between them the the firm place, the firmament, which uh, we discover as we've entered this space age that we're all living in that you can get out of the Earth's atmosphere without, I'll say, too much trouble, but coming back is a problem. Why? Because that firmament is firm. You begin to skip on the... Um, my my, my uh, late wife's cousin, John Goodman, um, for a living, wrote uh, potential uh, re-entry patterns for NASA, for the space shuttles, That's what he did. And so, uh, and he would often talk about this. He still does at family reunions. Um, So you, you can't just come screaming back in like the early Mercury astronauts did, like a bullet coming back down again with a parachute and kind of hope for the best. But with a space shuttle with wings and a tail and stuff, there's stuff that can get torn off if you're, as we found out with Columbia, right? So... Uh, the idea was to come down as the thing heats up. That's why it had that weird pattern of dark tiles and light tiles. The dark tiles were able to withstand a lot more heat. So it comes down and then the idea is it'll come back up again and then cool off. And then come down a little bit more and then come back up again and cool off because of that firmament that God has put into into place. Um, Which also, by the way, protects us. Because I don't know how many meteorites hit the the earth every day year but it's a lot. Yeah, I mean it's a lot, a lot. And almost all of them burn up. That's why we see them. They're they're burning up as they re, as they enter our atmosphere. Um so um uh, but before all of this stuff, you are God. And that he'll write Moses will write later in Deuteronomy 33, the eternal God is our dwelling place. Um so he likes that, that idea of what God is. Also notice here in verses 1 and 2, different names for God and attributes of God. I'm following, by the way, the old NIV 84 here, partly because the new NIV ignores the word Selah altogether and some other things that are in the Psalms. And if I follow the EHV, when I cut and paste the EHV from my Bible program, the EHV will have interlude in the Psalms where the Sila is, but it doesn't paste that way. So I have to go back in and type it all in and I, I'm afraid I forget sometimes. So I've just gone back to the old 84, which had all of that stuff, you know, all there all the time. Um, so uh, here, how do you spell Lord in verse one? Lowercase L-O-R-D. So that's not the covenant name of God. That's simply Lord who uh, or Adonai in Hebrew. It means master. Okay? So he begins humbly with master. Um, and then how does he end it at verse 2? With the, just the word God, right? Okay, here's a lexicography or dictionary writing 101. How do you define the word God. By the way, this is where Luther showed his genius. How do you define the word God? God is whatever you give all your devotion to. He is the one you worship. That was Luther's definition. And that's that's not from an, an, an overarching definition of what makes God God. But that's what makes us call God God. Um, and where did Luther especially visit that definition? In talking about the first commandment. Whatever you put above God becomes your God because you're giving it all of your devotion. So, a God can be what? What are the idols that, that a person can worship? Money, Money power, yourself. Your prestige, uh, little statue, yeah, big statue. In our culture especially, um, my opinion or self, you know, what I think overrules what God says sometimes. In every age of the world, um, what I crave beats what God says. What do we call that? Sin of every kind, right? So, yeah. So, you are God. Moses also here gives us a couple of other things. He defines the Lord as our dwelling place. We run to the Lord for protection and help. And also, he calls him eternal, everlasting to everlasting. And the creator, you brought forth the earth and the world. So, I didn't give you five spaces, but I've given you five terms. So, so there. There's always more to learn than I thought no matter where we are in the Bible. If Mr. Cushell is listening tomorrow, this is where we'll put our break at the halfway point. If he missed it, then everybody will laugh at him. (laughs) Let's go on. He and I talked about that today. Some of these classes are not half an hour, half an hour. Some of them are... 55 minutes and what do you do with the last five? Things like that. Psalm 90 verse 3. You turn men back to dust saying, return to dust, O sons of men. That's uh, parallelism um, of an interesting kind. Um, It's just the same thing kind of said backwards in the second line, but it's the same wording even. So it hardly even counts as parallelism. It's more like repetition. In this case. But man is formed from the dust of the earth in the creation. What else did God make from, from the dust, from the dirt in creation? We're, I think sometimes we're mistaught this, or some of us were when we were children. I don't think we're mistaught it today, but did you know that all of the animals were also made from the dust as well as man? That's Genesis 2.19. That that God had brought forth the the animals also out of the dust. It's only Eve that's made differently as far as the animal and and human um, contingency. So everybody is from the dust except Eve, who's from the rib. So are a couple of you looking it up? That's okay. You tell me if I'm wrong. Genesis 2:19. Are you there? Okay, okay. You says I went right? But Sarah, you're not there yet? I'll give you a break. That's okay. I'm going to let you look, finish looking it up. That that all, the wild and all, the birds. all the wild animals, all the birds, and so forth. Yep, out of the dust. Which, by the way, led um, in a... Uh, a new testament apocryphal book that nobody knows about or hardly knows about today um, it's one of the infancy gospels of jesus it's just some nonsense written in egypt in the 500s you know that i have i have in-laws who like to accuse christians of 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 leaving out parts of the bible you know and well i mean how how come the founding fathers never talked about president obama what's the answer it wasn't president yet. Yeah, so when, 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 we, when, the, when the canon of the New Testament was being formed, you know, why didn't they mention the Declaration of Independence? It wasn't written yet. And neither were these other books that people keep talking about. They hadn't been written yet. In fact, they were hundreds of years down the road. That's why they weren't included. Um, a couple of books were almost included that had been written. Um, notably, 1st and 2nd Clement, the Shepherd of Hermas, the Epistles of Ignatius, the letters by and about uh, uh, St. Polycarp of Smyrna, and, and a couple of others. Some of those were questioned, but the church looked at them and said, well, that just quotes scripture. That's not scripture. You know, and that's just a letter from a pastor to the dumb Corinthians who fired their pastors. You know, that's not really, that's not necessarily part of scripture. Um, but, and that's just a weird epic about a tower being built. It's really, it's a 116 chapter poem about repentance. That's the shepherd of Hermas. It's really cool, but another time. Okay. Uh, they used my translation of it at the college. True story. righty. Um, which tells you how many people study it if they have to use my translation. Okay. Uh, uh, So, yeah, uh, back to dust. Return to dust, O sons of men. Um, In a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. Um, And Peter had said with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. Peter's point is, God has a different take on time. Moses' point is, God is outside of time. When did time get created in the days of creation? Genesis 1.1. In the beginning. At that moment... The earth is beginning to go, and that's the beginning of everything. And so at the end of that day, there was evening and morning, not sun up and sundown, but evening and morning, day one. That's what Moses said. So that's that's already the beginning. Uh, but to the Lord, time is not something he thinks about the way we think about it. It's something we live in. You know, in my office is a goldfish called. Mrs. Pickle. Mr. Pickle passed away. I'm sorry. Um, although I'm not sure of their genders. But anyway, they're goldfish. But uh, Mrs. P- Mrs. Pickle lives in water. That's her environment, right? We live in time. That's our environment. And I, 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 I can't be removed out of it or I end up... What happens if I'm removed from time? I've died. Yeah. Yeah. So. Five. Five. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. The rhyme is uh, incidental to English. They are like the new grass of the morning, though in the morning it springs up new. By evening it is dry and withered. That's kind of a depressing verse, but where is the promise of the resurrection? No, that's a human being as a baby. That's, that's who's going to grow old and wither. But I think it's the sleep of death. Death is not being pulverized or being crushed or being burned away to nothing. Death is a sleep from which we will awaken. Yeah, that's, that, you know, that's how I take it. Um, oh, the, the, the word new grass, though, in the Greek translation is the word Chloe, which is a name we hear you know, occasionally. Um, in fact, in 1 Corinthians, that's the woman who ratted out the Corinthians to Paul, that they were, they, were, they were all having different divisions. I follow Apollos, I follow Paul, I follow Peter, and so forth. That was women from Chloe's household. Um, but that's the only place where that word occurs in the Bible as a name. Um, but that's the name, new grass. I think that a mom today, if she named her daughter Chloe, would say, oh, it means spring or something like that. But really, it means new grass which is a pretty thing, you know, a new, new little tuft of green grass. It's one of your favorite things in the springtime, right? To see the grass there. It's even more important than seeing a robin. Especially in New Ulm where the robins have become kind of year-round. Yeah, in the last, like, couple years, they don't go away. Sorry. Right. Enough of that. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. What's an iniquity? What does the word iniquity really stand for? What does it mean? Think of like Disneyland. To get on this ride, you have to be this tall. Right? It's a shortcoming. Yeah. I don't measure up to what God has said. That's an iniquity. An unequalness. An inequality. Um, secret sins in the light of your presence. If ever there was a terrifying verse it's that God has a super sin flashlight and he's beaming it at me. What are the secret sins? You know this is, this is what gives some of our newest um, uh, prospects that go to Pastor Sharps new member Bible information class, it gives them fits. Um, that's what they have to stay after class to, 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 to be terrified about and to really talk about um, is the terror of our secret sins. Um, God knows everything in us. There are many passages in the Bible that talk about God knowing our thoughts. And a couple of them also say that God alone knows our thoughts. What comfort does that verse give me? That the devil doesn't know. Yeah, the devil can't read your mind. So, if you're kind of foolish like me, or getting older like me, um, you may sometimes talk to yourself when you're alone in the house, or you think you're alone in the house, then your kids laugh at you, you know, uh, about stuff and you're kind of muttering to yourself about things, uh, don't give the devil ammunition, especially when you're praying. If you pray out loud or whisper prayer, you know, something like that, like on the edge of your bed before you go to sleep at night, if you're going to pray about a secret temptation, say that one to your, in, in your mind only. The devil can't get in there. Don't give him, he doesn't need to know extra things that you're going through, okay? I should say that in the pulpit more often, shouldn't I? Our people should know that we, we don't have to give the devil extra ammunition. He doesn't need it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, what what was it in the? I think it was in World War II. It was fighting against the Japanese. We used a certain caliber of ammunition, and the Japanese on purpose picked a caliber that was like two numbers smaller. So, I'm just going to say 45 although it wasn't that big. But the Japanese used 43. Why? They could shoot our our bullets if they captured them, but we couldn't shoot theirs. Which was genius. That was genius. Don't give up your don't give the enemy your ammunition. You know. Yeah. I should I should I should put that in my head what what caliber that was so I get that anecdote right I can I can look that up sometime that's a the problem is every time I learn something new something else leaves so I'm going to be careful about that All our days pass away under your wrath we finish our years with a moan What a blessing um to finish one's years without a moan, um, to rejoice at the end of one's days. Um, I have been with people, I, I can't even count now how many deathbeds I've been at. Um, although I've known veteran pastors who retired who had only been at one or two, they told me. But I don't know if it's, I don't know how many deathbeds I've been at. But I've never been to uh, a deathbed or the bed of someone who was, say, uh, suffering from Alzheimer's, what my uncle used to call old timers, uh, or dementia or something like that, or even unconscious, where saying the Lord's Prayer, there wasn't a reaction. Even an unconscious person will squeeze my hand during the Lord's Prayer, if not during the rest of the whole visit sometimes. And uh, I'm especially fond of when somebody has. Um, mental issues that are clouding up their memory uh, like dementia or something of rather than taking my Bible along or in addition to I'll take along my hymnal and let's just sing we sing and sing and their eyes will brighten up my favorite pattern is to sing through the church here so I've got a guy there who 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 is in the bed but I'll ask his wife or his kids oh what's his favorite Christmas hymn we'll sing it What's his favorite Easter hymn? His favorite Lenten hymn? You know, make sure you get Good Friday in there and then, you know, a a favorite other hymn and we'll go through the church here and a couple of others and we'll sing one or two verses or whatever until finally the nurse comes in and I think it's time to leave now, Pastor. Okay. Singing too much. Um, The length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have the strength. Yet their span is but trouble and sorrow for they quickly pass and we fly away. Um, a reference to what happens to the soul at death is to fly away. But 70 or 80, how long had life been before the flood? It was rare for someone to live only in the 700s before the flood. We have a lot of references to people living eight and 900 and some years. Um, and I've been reading one of the Lutheran theologians from the early days of the American colonies before the Revolutionary War, but over in Germany. And they were at war over there at the same time. And uh his, uh, his name is Johann Gerhardt and he talks about what would have happened to, say, Adam and Seth and the others after a while. How would they have gotten to heaven? you know, without death, if there had been no death. Um, and he speculates, although he's got some passages to back him up. He, he says, I know we kind of, you could take from this and from that and from the, uh, the Enoch story and the Elijah story, maybe they would have laid down, laid aside their life at some point and said, Lord, take me and have been, he uses the word translated into heaven after a while because otherwise you're just on earth your whole life. And paradise that it is, it isn't heaven. So would Adam, after say two or three thousand years, have finally, you know, just said, "Lord, I'd like to go home now." And been taken? I don't know. Um, that's a, a, a something I had never occurred to me to even talk about or ask um, until recently. Um, I just know that mankind was built, designed, and created to not die. That's the idea behind the human body, that it would just keep going and going. Mr. Plucker at school um, uh, told me uh, just uh, yesterday that uh, they were talking about the cell in class, the the, the molecule. No, it was the the cell. And that um, the human cell um, will produce the same sugars it needs to take in. It forms a loop. Um, and it's, it's just natural for the human body to continue to exist. And you see that in individuals who are nearing the end of life. They will battle against it. It is not in our nature to die. It is in our nature to fight against it, to, to not want to, to do it. Which is why even in our sinful nature, we combat the idea of death and we uh, set the thought aside in our minds. You know, young people don't act as if they will ever die with the things that they will do and the way that they choose to back out of the driveway and other things that, that happen. Enough of that. Anything else on 70 or 80? But that not that the same as in our time? Moses had already found 70 or 80 years? Yeah. I mean, my grandmother lived to be 102 or just about 102 um, and, and there are others like that. But, and we didn't we have a lady in New Ulm who lived to be 113, 14, something like that. Um, a St. John's member just passed away recently. Um, but, um, and Moses himself, 120. But that was rare, and Moses knew it was rare. Moses knew he had that much time because God told him, you're going to lead them to the promised land. And then at the end, he and Aaron made a mistake, and neither one of them made it into the promised land um, because of their oops. Um, but God lets them know that that was because of that, not because of anything else. Okay. Who knows the power of your anger? For your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. How much should we believe in God? That's how angry he is over sin. That's a big bite to chew on, is it? That's, uh, that's a whole turducken of a doctrine right there. Do you know what a turducken is? That's this monstrosity that some people make at Thanksgiving. That's a turkey stuffed with a duck, stuffed with a chicken, a turducken. Awesome. That <laughs> anyway, there's a lot there. I'm just saying, there's a lot there. There's a lot going on there. All right. Teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Heart of wisdom here means what, really? Faith, faith. exactly. Yeah, faith. And uh, a, a, a faithful heart, a heart that also is wise about what we should do in life, is a, is a, is a faith that numbers our days correctly. Um. You know, uh, quite a few in this room have a lot more days ahead than they have behind. Some of us probably have fewer days ahead than behind. And numbering those days, um, for example, when would it be wise to share my faith with my children? Is it after I become a grandfather? No. No. Isn't it the moment we discover that we're pregnant? You know, I should share my—I should be practicing before that, even. You know, you should share your faith with your significant other before you're even engaged. Um, uh, share your faith, if possible. Or if you're like my grandmother, the one who lived to be 102, had a, a, a husband who believed something very different, and she was patient with him her whole life. She did not nag him, but she demonstrated her faith, lived her faith, and he let her live her faith. Um, And in her case, in the end, her patience paid off. He became a Christian in his last moments of life, last couple days. Doesn't always happen, but to have the offer there, to hold out the offer of the forgiveness of sins. We also don't always have the the privilege of having the out loud confession of faith. Oh, I know that my Redeemer lives, but that might be lurking in the back of somebody's mind that I just don't know about. So keep sharing your faith. Keep letting them know. They have a Savior who loves them. That's why I love the story of the thief on the cross. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly the right story to bring up is the thief on the cross. Thank you, Mark. Relent, O oh Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. There's the prayer of Moses. And look at it in verse 13. What do you see? Lord spelled how? All capitals. There it is. The only time in the whole psalm. That's the Lord's covenant name. His, uh, his forgiveness name. Right as Moses prays now. Have compassion on your servants. The Greek word for compassion that's in the translation uh, one of the most effective of the Greek, to have your guts turn over and over again, to have compassion for somebody, yeah, to have your, to, to yearn for them. Um, Satisfy in the, us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us for as many years as we have seen trouble. This is also why I think it was written maybe toward the end of the sojourn of the 40 years, because he talks about the years that we've been afflicted. Although this could be a reference also, couldn't it, to the years of suffering in Egypt? I think, I think, let me start that sentence all over again. Um, Archaeologists are quick to point out that there's evidence of slavery all over the world and in all kinds of different time periods in, the world, in world history. And archaeologists are quick to point out, we have found no evidence of the Hebrews being enslaved in Egypt. How long were the Hebrews enslaved in Egypt? That's the question. According to the text of scripture... They were in Egypt for 430 years. But Joseph was their prince for the first 80. They weren't enslaved in in any of that time. And we know from archaeology that the Egyptians weren't in charge in Egypt for the middle 200 years of that time period. The Hyksos were. Then the Egyptians drove out the Hyksos why might the Egyptians have enslaved a Semitic group living in Egypt after having driven out a Semitic invader? Do I even have to answer the, ask that question? I think the Egyptians got to be, what, what, what's the word, xenophobic? These aren't authentic Egyptians. These are these Israelites. They're like the Hyksos. And so it, I, I'm, I'm not sure that the Egyptians were even enslaved until shortly before Moses was born. I mean, remember Moses was 80 or 40? I'm sorry, when uh, when he left Egypt, and it could be that 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 first edict of Pharaoh, kill all the Egyptian, all, all the all the Hebrew boys, you know, was one of the first things that they did in the oppression of the Israelites not one of the last things. They may not have been slaves all that long, and so not much evidence. Okay, yes? Verse 15, where it says, make us glad for as many days as we were. Yeah. Does that mean make us glad while we are afflicted, or make us glad we're done being afflicted, now make us glad for as many days as we were? Reflected? Well, that's a classic translation question. Way to go. Yeah, and I, I, I tend to take it the second way. Make us glad for as long as you've made us sad, that kind of thing. But it could go the other way, you know, where I'm kind of done with this. We're still being afflicted, but please make us glad at the same time. They could both be true. Um, certainly what he's really saying is just it's, it's time now to be happy, you know. I've been singing dirges for a long time. Let's get Pharrell in here and start raising the roof. You know, that kind of a thing. Or is Pharrell just way too old of a reference for you guys? Sorry. Okay. He had a song called Happy a long time ago. Okay. Okay. Never mind. Let's go on. I, you know, we got halfway through Psalm 91 this morning and we're not even done with Psalm 90. Let's finish the last two verses here. Sorry about that. That's not your fault. That's mine. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. What's the greatest work of our lives for any human being? The sign in the the painting in my mother-in-law's bathroom says, you can't take anything along with you into heaven except, how do you think it ends? Except your children. The greatest thing we can do is to share our faith with someone. That's the greatest task of any human being is to share your faith. Whether it is with gobs and gobs and gobs of people like Sarah does, Or with a small handful, like a lot of people do. You know, whatever it is, or just your immediate family. Who will tell the little ones about their Savior? It's our privilege. Who will share the wonderful gospel of forgiveness with the world? Not a corporation, not a nation, not a church building. It has to be me. It has to be you. We are the ones to carry God's word to them all. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Thanks for letting me do this. God bless you. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Wall, Minnesota.